Hello, money makers and money savers. Welcome to the interview series, The Business of Business. I'm your host, Dustin Dubé, and this is Finance Fundamentals, the show where we learn how to stop working so hard for our money and learn how to make it work harder for you. This podcast is entirely based on my experiences and thoughts. I am not a financial advisor, and the thoughts and expressions you hear on this show are my own and are not reflective of my employers, past or present, nor my guests. I am not liable for investments that you make or strategies that you implement upon listening to my show. Now, back to the show. Hey friends, welcome back to Finance Fundamentals. This is the interview series, The Business of Business, where I interview unique industry experts and business owners to motivate, educate, and help you to chase your craft. Today's guest is Kara Golden. She is the founder and CEO of Hint Water. Maybe you've seen the product on the shelves or you wanna clean up your diet. This could be an opportunity to learn about the company, learn about her new book, Undaunted, and learn about her podcast and a variety of other ventures that she has going on. Thanks for joining me. Welcome back to Finance Fundamentals. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me again on Finance Fundamentals. Today, I've got a really exciting guest. I've got Kara Golden, the CEO and founder of Hint Water. If any of you have seen the product on the shelves, I'm sure many of you have seen it on commercials, various advertisements. It's a serious market disruptor, and I'm, I'm so happy to have you on. So thank you for joining me this evening. Thank you. Excited to be here. Excellent. So I know about your backstory a lot more so now after finishing your book, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But if there were a highlight reel of Kara Golden's life, what what would we all want to know about you that led you to the point that you're at today? Well, I think more than anything, I, I was just I was super curious. I was a tech executive and I was really curious about what was making me the way that I was because I saw this dramatic shift in my health over the course of, I guess it was many years. It seemed like not too long, but I gained a bunch of weight. I had a terrible little acne. I was, uh, my energy levels progressively were going down. And when I went and talked to a few doctors about it, they were like, that's just what happens when you get older. Right. And I thought, is it what happens when you get older? I mean, again, my curiosity coming in. And so I kept looking for, you know, the answer and in, in what I was eating. I was already an athlete. I had been a competitive gymnast and runner growing up and I knew how to train and I had been consistently you know, doing running and hiking along the way. And, and, but I really kept searching in, in what I was eating as thinking that must be the answer. And finally, when I, you know, moved away from, from the food and started looking what, at what I was drinking one day, purely by accident, I, I just happened to look down and I'd been reading obviously ingredients on food packaging, but I looked down at my diet Coke drink and I thought, wow, I mean, I'm putting a lot of stuff in my body. I have no idea what this is. Maybe I should just do a little test and start drinking water. I mean, I had known for years that water was better for me, but I never drank it because it was super boring. And so I started slicing up fruit and threw it in the water, you know, wondering if that could help solve my health issues. And two and a half weeks later, many of the changes that I, that I saw or wanted to see were, were happening. And I lost over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks. My uh, energy was back. My acne was gone. And I thought, wow, there's only one problem. Water is boring. So darn boring. Like if I have to drink eight glasses a day, I'm going to, you know, not be very happy. So I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in, in the water and realized that this was not only something that really helped me, but also helped my family, helped friends, people. I was the the girl that people were coming over to my house and they were like, what kind of fruit do you have today? I mean, what, what are we going to put in our water? And I just thought, I mean, it's kind of fun and funny at the same time. And if this could actually help lots of others drink water and shift away from kind of these healthy perception products like diet or low fat or things that people think are, you know, going to help get them healthier, then maybe this product should be out on the market. And um, so that was really the backstory. I never thought about 
starting a beverage company. I mean, I, that, that was never my purpose. It still isn't my purpose today. It was really around how can I help people change their health? And when I saw that I had figured it out for myself, I thought there's, there's a lot of people out there who are falling victim to, you know, these healthy perception products. And it, it's really not that hard yet. I mean, how many people today are challenged by health issues and they just give up, right? Because they think that's just the way things are meant to be. And I think if nothing good happened from, from the pandemic over the last 17 months, it's that worldwide people are really focused on getting healthy, staying healthy. And I think that the first step for many is, is to figure out what you're drinking. And you should be drinking lots of water. You should be staying hydrated. You should be doing that versus actually putting other stuff into, into your hydration schedule. But for me, it was impossible because I, I would cheat. I wouldn't do it if, I, if it didn't taste great. So that's how Hint was born. Yeah. And, and there's something in the book that you said that really resonated with me. You said that when you drank diet soda, it kind of got the taste buds going and it made you crave more sweet and unhealthy yeah. foods. And I can totally resonate with that. I, I actually grew up in a, a household where my parents, we had soda with every meal. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until I hit about maybe high school aged when I started to become more health conscious and I almost never touched soda anymore. But then I switched to iced tea and it was mm -hmm. kind of the same perception. Then I moved to North Carolina and I found out what real iced tea is and I <laughs> can't, can't drink that. But it, it does kind of uh, prompt you to be a little bit more swayed, if you will, to other foods and, and other beverages that before you know it, you just think, I just consumed uh, a meal's worth of calories in a very short amount of time. And we, we got a Peloton this year. We've been much more health conscious. But ultimately, the diet is really what came into to play, and it's uh, it's made a huge difference in our lives. So, absolutely, uh, I commend you for it. And the product is great. I do have to ask, what's, you. your, what's your favorite flavor? It's like asking me who my favorite child is. I have four <laughs> of them, right? So, no, I I do all uh, you know create all twenty six flavors. So, I think for me, cherry is probably my number one go-to if they're all on the shelf in, in the refrigerator, but I love the blueberry lemon and I love the blackberry. I'm drinking that right now. You know, the interesting thing about our beverage versus other beverages from what I hear from other beverage companies is that, you know, people typically like look at the case of diet Coke, for example, if, if you're a diet Coke drinker, if you're offered a Coke, you're not going to drink it, right? You, you are set on that one brand. You'll find something else to drink. But in the case of Hint, our consumer really wants choice. And so they don't typically just have one flavor on the shelf. They don't typically only buy one flavor, right? There's, there's always, you know, that variety pack that has the bad flavor in it that people don't really like. People might have preferences of our flavors, but I think for the most part, our consumer, you know, they, they go from, you know, loving cherry and then they get really into blackberry. That's how people talk about it, which I think is how consumers are today. I mean, they, they want choice. They want to be able to have variety, right? And it's not just about, you know, one and maybe there's like one that we're trying to push to people. I mean, for, for us, I think it's, it's just, we do seasonal flavors. And I think it's, it's also really interesting because as a small beverage company, we were sort of at the mercy of kind of dealing not only with the stores on what they would pick. They sort of juggle back and forth between wanting the top flavors and wanting to be different. So if you're like a retailer and your competition down the street, you don't want exactly the same stuff, but you don't want to not have like the top skews either. Cause you don't want to be the afterthought or the, you know, one that has the yucky flavors in your store. And so they were never going to put all 26 of our flavors on the shelf. And so, I mean, that's when we really thought, well, let's start a direct to consumer business. And that was my background prior to coming into beverage, but I really believed that we had to do things. If I was entering a new industry, then I needed to study and follow exactly what that industry was doing and the way that they were doing it. And that was the way that I competed. But then 
what I realized is that you can study and understand exactly what people are doing in, in the industry that you're entering into, but in order to innovate whether that's how you go to market and establish a relationship with the consumer, what your supply chain looks like. I mean, the number of things that we've done on kind of the back end around automation and is really much different and much more state of the art because again, we were willing to walk into an industry and be the one that didn't know anything in the room and be humbled and ask a lot of questions. And so I'm such a big believer and part of the reason why I wanted to write the book is that being an outsider and coming from a different industry, but really leading with curiosity is really what creates new businesses, what creates new ways of doing things all the time. And it's been a big belief of mine. It's something I talk about in a, a lot of my talks, but if I can share that information with people, I believe that more and more entrepreneurs will ultimately be created and, and people figuring out what they want to do and, and following their dreams, following an idea that they've always, you know, thought was kind of out there, but they didn't believe they could do it. That is my, my spiel. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. So the, the company's clearly grown a lot since the, the inception. You know, you talk a lot about that in the book and, and also just the, the scope of the product. You know, you say 26 flavors, you're in multiple markets, uh, you've got sunscreen and different products as well, now deodorant. Uh, so it's, it's clearly grown. It's scaled. As that has happened, what has that experience been like? It almost must be surreal to be living in that moment and, and you kind of take a pause and go, wow, 10 years just went by and so much has changed. Yeah. And I mean, it, it continues to change. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was at, I was in an airport the other day, actually in North Carolina. I was oh. in, I was in the Charlotte airport and I was leaving and waiting for my flight. And there were two people standing a few feet away from me, both drinking a bottle of Hint. And they were talking about how much they liked the flavor. And they were almost fighting over the two different flavors. And, you know, I was sitting there wondering if they saw my bag, it said hint on it. And I was again, like peering in, just trying to listen to them for a few minutes. And I uh, said to my husband, who was our chief operating officer, I said, I still get really excited, you know, when I see people holding on to a product that I created, right. And I developed, it's pretty cool. And I think coming from tech too, and maybe a lot of other industries, maybe finances one of them, you know, holding on to a product and being able to have a physical product, there's just something about it that is just very, at least to me, was very enticing and, and very different. I think you can't underestimate, you know, some of the challenges that you have with physical um, goods too, and, and, you know, inventory and, and supply chain and all of those kind of questions. And, and frankly, I think things change along the way too. And I think that more than anything, you have to, you can't stay complacent you have to be constantly asking, what can we do? And you have to be prepared. I mean, I, I think in, in particular, the book was all turned in right before the pandemic, but we learned in March when, you know, the US and in my mind was really, I mean, that was everybody had to get ready at this point. And we're an essential product. We're actually regulated. Our plants are regulated by the FDA because we use fruit. And so I'd always thought my product was an essential product and we passed the FDA, whatever screen cycles along the way. So it's no big deal, but an essential product during a pandemic has a different meaning. And again, you don't read the fine print until it's time, right? Because nobody's been through a pandemic. And so that meant that we had to be running our factories 24 hours a day. We had to use best practices to make sure that store shelves were stocked with water so that consumers would have water to buy if needed. So it's a whole kind of different level. And with it, had to share with our team that while they may be watching the news and hearing that they should shelter in place, that's for other people. Instead, here's your N95 mask and your hand sanitizer and your gloves and let's 
figure out how we're going to go and do this. Leading during a time of, you know, confusion and challenges and in a time where I didn't really know what I was walking into. I mean, I think that being able to be nimble, being able to kind of jump in and, and do what I've done for the last, you know, now 16 years was, you know, I, I put on my Lululemon outfit with my hint on it and started going into stores because I not only wanted my team to be safe, but I wanted to make sure that we were doing the right job, that these stores, so that we didn't lose our license, right? All, all of those kind of things going through my head. But how do you prepare for that? I think that what you do is you pay attention, right? It's, it can be exhausting at times and then you do the best job you can. And in the case of telling my team to go out and basically get out there during a pandemic, the only way that I knew how to lead was actually to get out there myself. And so I went back to beginning steps of hint and started going into stores and walking in the back room and figuring out strategies around, could I come into the store if Target opens at 7 a.m.? Can I come in at Six, you know, when there's no people in the store where I felt a little more comfortable. And then I shared that information with the rest of the team. I said, you know, just go ask the manager if you can come in early because there's no people in the yeah. store. And, you know, and people are like, oh, they'll, they'll allow you to do that. And I'm like, mine did. So that's what I'm doing. But again, you have to figure out, you know, the best entrepreneurs are curious, but are also nimble and they, you know, roll with the punches along the way. As far as our supply chain, that was another huge component for us where we had been preparing for the last four years to automate as much as of our supply chain. When we went and tried to talk to people in the beverage industry about how they're automating, I mean, it was like deer caught in the headlights. Nobody was really doing the kind of automation that we thought about, but because we have a product that doesn't have preservatives in it, we really wanted to get people out of the room when we were putting the fruit into the bottle because we thought somebody sneezes, they don't even have to have COVID. I mean, it's, it's like somebody sneezes, a germ gets in the bottle, could grow mold. And it's basic science. And we thought we'd rather that not happen. So over the last few years, we started to remove more and more people and start to automate and bring in different ways that there wouldn't be any people in the room. By the end of 2019, we had achieved what we had set out to do. So there were no people in the room by the end of 2019. And, you know, it was sort of this quiet kind of, woo, we did it, but we didn't know why we did it. Right. And then, you know, obviously when we had to be running our plants 24 hours a day and we had the FDA walking into our plants, trying to figure out if COVID was coming from food and beverage supply, they literally walked into our plants and walked right out because they saw what we had done to operate the business in a way that was safe, that appeared to be doing things the way that it really should be done. And I think that the other thing that happened too was that a lot of suppliers are based in China for the beverage industry. So all the can manufacturers, for example, they're all based in China. And so a lot of those shipments that were coming from China, obviously were being held up. A lot of those factories were closed because the virus was on a different schedule. And so at the beginning of April, we got a phone call from Costco. And they said, is it right that you do everything in the U.S.? You blow your bottles, you source everything in the U.S.? And we said, yeah. And they said, could we go chain wide with your product? Because there's a bunch of beverage companies that are getting pieces of their products from overseas and they're having a hard time shipping. And we said, Okay, let me check for a second because 2020 for us was going to be a big year anyway. We were going into Sam's Club and Walmart and Aldi and our direct-to-consumer business was already on fire. And, and so we said yes. And we turned around. We, we weren't quite sure. We flew the airplane as we were building it. We were, you know, fingers crossed. And, but we thought, you know, we're going to try. And we're going to do the best job that we can to make this happen. And it's been a crazy year for sure. We've tripled our direct-to-consumer business. We've grown our overall business over 50% in the last 17 months. And I mean, it's it's been crazy, but I think it really just, you know, the team worked hard to really do the right things and think differently about how they operate and every day just get better. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I mean, a lot of industries actually 
kind of went on a slope during this time, but people are home and have more disposable income. And obviously providing a, an essential product clearly played right into that. Were there any negative impacts from COVID-19? Anything that you kind of had to be nimble and think on your feet to overcome? Obviously, the timing of 2019, getting the people out of the the distribution, that was very forecoming <laughs> hindsight. Yeah. But it, was there anything that was a little bit of a, a speed bump? So we have been the largest beverage in Silicon Valley, starting with Google and Facebook, and obviously saw a big change. It was about 15% of our overall business was not just in tech firms, but in offices across the country who have sort of followed what tech firms have done and providing great products like Hint for their employees. And when we heard that offices were closing, I mean, that's when there was this big unknown about how long offices were going to be closed. It was at that point when I uh, said to our CFO, we should just zero this out for the year because we don't think it's going to, but it'll just be positive outcome if it doesn't last an entire year. But we realized then that you know, these offices probably wouldn't be ordering from us. And I think that the main thing that goes back to kind of things that we did right, that were able to help us during these unexpected times where we had multiple revenue streams coming into the company. And so traditionally, beverage manufacturers are, are very reliant on stores. Obviously, stores were closing. So the people that I know in, you know, running food and beverage companies, if you didn't have another way to go to market, maybe you weren't in offices, maybe you didn't have a direct-to-consumer business or an Amazon business set up. I mean, you were at the mercy of these stores, right? On whether or not they were open. And that was an incredibly challenging time. And so for us, we had this direct-to-consumer business and it was continually growing as well as Amazon. And so we decided let's throw the gas on. I mean, I remember reaching out to Facebook and saying, Hey, we want to buy some ad inventory. And they had ad, ad inventory because there were so many people canceling buys because they were freaking out. They were like, should we not say anything? I mean, the pandemic's hit, what should we be doing? And what our message to people was we're here, we have stock. And you may be going to store shelves and you don't see Hint or you don't see, you know, other products come to our store, drinkhint.com. We'll ship it out today or go to Amazon. Amazon will ship it out as well. But we were able to throw the gas on that business. We already had it set up. It was an opportunity for us. So I think with every challenge, you know, that I ever come across, I've learned to say, okay, that's bad if it is bad, but what can we do? And if you look at it from a standpoint of, it's just a problem that has to get solved. It's, it's very rare that it should ever stop you. In fact, you know, complacency is ultimately what will kill you. Right. And, and you have to figure out how do you continue moving forward? And that's the most important thing. But I guess the, the more challenging times that you have, you get really good at it. People call me, you know, fearless, resilient, or, you know, but instead I think it's just, I'm a problem solver. I'll come into to a situation and think, okay, you know, here's just another one. And you just figure out a way to, to get through it. And I mean, I've, I've certainly had my share over the years, but I think that the more of these you have, the more confident you get in actually being able to go in and solve problems and think differently about things and recognize that we're capable of a lot more if we just go try and we don't freak out. And instead, you know, we accept that sometimes things aren't going to go our way. We have to believe that the journey is kind of meant to be. And maybe you're headed down a certain lane that you didn't expect to go down. And maybe that's exactly where you're supposed to be going. And you have to flow with it a little bit and realize that that's, that's the way life is. And I always think like, you look back and I think the best things happen when you didn't want to go in a certain direction and you just happen to be there. I think that mindset is incredibly important. Just the resiliency and 
unfortunately, a lot of companies did not fight back during COVID and kind of allowed the impacts of the environment to take control of them. And I, I've seen it a lot in the industry that I'm in and where a lot of, a lot of companies took a, a pretty serious hit and did not innovatively think about how to overcome those obstacles. And unfortunately, some of them are no longer with us today. So yep. I totally commend you for that. So let's move into your book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. I finished it, and it's funny, after I finished it, I ended up researching all of the old companies that you mentioned, and I was like, wow, I kind of remember Sobe. I kind of remember some of these competitors, but many of them have either scaled down operations or are really no longer with us. I do have some specific questions about the book. So you do call yourself an accidental entrepreneur, so that that right there is kind of leading into this entire conversation where you would not be here had you not taken some risks and got to where you were. What do you mean by accidental entrepreneur? Yeah, I think entrepreneurs, people have always asked me, you know, were you born this way? I mean, did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? And, you know, it's funny because I I worked for some incredible entrepreneurs, either directly or indirectly, or people that worked for certain entrepreneurs. And, and so I loved that energy and I loved the, you know, curiosity and I saw a lot of things. And I also was able to, when you can support people first, that's what I, you know, share with people all the time that being an entrepreneur is not the only way to actually get into an entrepreneurial environment, right? Not everybody is is born to go and lead and come up with an idea that if you think you want to be an entrepreneur going and working for people, in my case, you know, it was at CNN when it was like a late stage startup. We didn't call it that, but I mean, watching Ted Turner take on the ABC News and the NBC News, I mean, there were many people who didn't think that he could do it. They thought he was crazy, like a 24, who wants a 24 hour news network? I mean, it was just, it was really, really out there. And yet over time, you know, what, what I saw just working there was that it was about putting stakes in the ground and letting people know what you are trying to do and, and staying consistent and that you sometimes are the only one that is going to be consistent because you'll hear people say, oh, you should add a talk show. You should do this. You should do this. But you have to really have the pillars and you put them in the ground. And sometimes that's hard, right? Working for a little startup that was spin out of Apple. I didn't work for Steve Jobs, but the product was incubated with with Steve at Apple. And, and it was five guys that worked for Steve. It was very much the mindset of how Steve would think about things and the puzzle of continuing to add on that it's never done. I mean, I think tech does a great job of doing upgrades and 2.0s and, and, you know, that kind of thinking that does not exist, by the way, in the food and beverage industry. So then going into, I went through an acquisition and, and America Online and obviously Steve Case, I mean, incredible entrepreneur that really saw this problem around the internet and he built a, a closed in space while we were all trying to figure out how to get bod modem speeds faster. And so again, kind of watching these entrepreneurs. I, I didn't work there because I thought eventually I'm going to start my own thing, but I had incredible training and I had incredible understanding of what was important along the way. And also in all of those cases, they were not only the underdogs, but there, there was no roadmap. It wasn't a clear roadmap. You always had these people in the case of AOL. I mean, you know, we had Microsoft and Yahoo and Netscape and all these, you know, companies out there that were doing stuff that was in some ways, sometimes better. And you didn't sit there and stop. Instead, you figured out how do you keep moving the line further down the way? And how do you, you keep the dialogues open? Maybe there's partnerships to be had along the way. And so I, that's what I really want people to know is that you don't have to be born an entrepreneur. You don't have to go to school to be an entrepreneur. You have to have a great idea and you have to have a solution to a problem. I think that that's the most important thing. And I think today too, that consumers really respond to hearing about that, right? That they want to figure out how does that problem, how does that solution fit into their life? Would it actually solve something for them? I mean, the number of people who have, I, I remember, you know, early on, we were invited to be on a segment of CNBC on how I made my millions, which is more like how I spent 
my millions, but I I've met people who have seen me drinking the product who, you know, will say all kinds of things that they pick up on about after seeing these segments or reading a story about it. And I think what, what I take from that is that they try and figure out how my story fits into their life. And they they don't even realize they're changing the story, which is fine, right? But, th but that is how people get sticky with products, whether it's a service or a physical product. They try and figure out how it fits into their life and why they want to engage with it. And so having that kind of understanding, walking into being an entrepreneur, I mean, those make the best entrepreneurs, people who are constantly watching consumers, people who are constantly trying to solve problems for consumers. And they're not asking consumers what the problem is. I think those are, that's what big companies do. I, I'm so excited about 2021 because I think it's going to take a few more months, but I think we're going to see a lot of ideas that are yeah. going to come out by the end of this year. I think the fall is going to be loaded with ideas. And they all come from incredible entrepreneurs that are seeing problems, have time to sit there and think about the, the solutions to those problems. And I really believe that that's, that's what's to come. Yeah. The next market here of, of young CEOs and entrepreneurs is, is coming upon us. It, you talk a little bit in your book about overcoming specific doubts and doubters. Who is a specific doubter that you came across? I'm sure you can think of many, but is there one that really stands out to you that you think that was the one that kind of stopped me in my tracks? So many doubters. You know, one of the ones that I, probably the most famous one that I have, that I have in, in the book was a gentleman from Coca-Cola. And I wanted that meeting so bad. I mean, I, I was at a point about a year into running Hint where there were a lot of things. I was trying to figure out shelf life and, and how to distribute the product across the country and figure out Cisco's phone number. I mean, there were just like, it just was really hard. And I, I just, was pretty tired. I also had four kids under the age of six and, you know, it was just crazy town at my house. And I thought, why am I doing this? This is insane. And that's when a friend connected me with somebody that she knew at Coca-Cola. And again, when you walk into an industry and you don't actually know what you're doing, right? You know that Coke and Pepsi and I don't know, maybe Dr. Pepper Snapple and Nestle are like the big guys. You're sort of in awe, right? That from afar, you're thinking, wow, they have so much space. I have, you know, one skew on the shelf, right? And I think that for me, I felt like all this knowledge that I was missing would actually come to me if I could just end up having a conversation with this gentleman. And so I ended up getting the phone call and being very prepared and, and sharing that I'd started this company and, and that it was selling in the Bay area where I live and people were reordering and all, all good. And he interrupted me about 15 minutes in and said, uh, sweetie, Americans love sweet. This product isn't going anywhere. And I was like, uh, what, what, you know, it just didn't say anything. I just was in shock that he called me sweetie. And it was at that moment when I allowed him to talk and kind of back up what he was that big statement, sweetie Americans love sweet, what he was saying. And he went on to share his perception of the customer. And it was very different than my perception of the customer. And I wasn't going to argue with him because I thought he has a lot more money than I do. He's like, you know, I'm the rowboat, he's the cruise ship and he could eventually turn it around. <laughs> so I just, you know, shared with him that, I mean, obviously I was the consumer, and I figured out that diet was not making me as healthy as I wanted to be. And then I figured out that making this change to unsweetened flavored water was really what my body needed. But he instead went on to share that the consumer wants zero calories. The consumer, we were at 10 calories back then in industry, and they want it sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And I'm thinking in my head, but what if they get sicker and sicker and sicker? And, you know, then will they still want that? And he was so focused on what he believed that this consumer wanted. We ended the call and it was, it was fine, right? We, and it, we hung up. I'm pretty sure that he 
thought that I was going to close up shop, quit, whatever. And instead, I'm really grateful for that phone call because it was such clarity to me where I thought, here's the big guy, big gorilla, right? And he's got it all figured out about the consumer, but I'm not seeing that consumer. The consumer that I'm seeing is the consumer that is, is curious and figures out that there are better things out there and that these sweeteners are making us hungry, causing us to overeat, creating insulin, all of these things. And I knew I was a little ahead. I knew I was ahead like Ted Turner was or Steve Jobs or Steve Case, right? But I had to continue understanding my consumer that I was seeing because I was hearing they were challenged with things like type two diabetes and from, according to them, eating diet sweeteners, drinking diet sweeteners. And I thought it's so interesting, right? That is not what this executive from Coca-Cola is saying at all. They think that if you put the right things on the, on the label, if you put zero on there, you put diet on there that you know, the consumer will believe. And I, I just thought he's on his river, I'm on my river, and maybe we'll see each other at some point. And that was my doubter for a moment, maybe having me increase my own doubts about whether or not I was like reading this correctly or doing this correctly. But what I really realized at that moment is that, you know, words are powerful things when they come from the right people, the people with lots of experience, it's, it's kind of throws you off a little bit, but you have to think about your customer and you have to think about who you're servicing. Right. And, and that's the most important thing and, and trust that what you're hearing from your consumer and what you're seeing is really the most important thing. And, and really the road that you need to go down. Have your rivers ever crossed again? Not with that specific person, but you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. We've had conversations over the years. I mean, I think I had a conversation actually with a major executive from one of those big soda companies the other day who is now retired. And it was a really, really interesting conversation and sort of a recollection of when I decided little Kara from the tech industry decided to go and start this company that I think most people bet against me that I'd be able to go and figure it out. Nobody's been able to kind of build a company to our level without the Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper Snapple network. And Honest Tea, Zico, lots, Adwala. I mean, they basically threw the towel in because they could not figure out how to build without the trucks. We were able to build by going direct to consumer and going into tech offices. So we thought differently about how we were able to go and build it. And what happened is that when we sold products that way to consumers, then stores, it was, we created a pull strategy without even knowing that we were doing it. We were just not staying complacent. We were figuring out what can we do? All of these things that I talk about in the book that I think people need to stop being so focused on following the rules and instead figure out what can you do to be successful, make sales, whatever it is. And you may run into things that were like, wait, what? I mean, Google, when we went into Google, I was interviewing there. I had sort of thought about maybe giving up on Hint because it was so hard in the first couple of years and I was getting recruited by Google. And I remember sitting there thinking I was going to have a face-to-face -face meeting with the guy that was a friend of mine, Omid, that felt like I at least owed it to him because he was investing time in me to sort of share with them what I was doing. And we're having lunch. And then he, I shared with them that I was going to start this beverage company. And, you know, he almost fell out of his chair. He's like, wait, what, what are you doing? And I said, yeah, here's a bottle of cucumber hint. And he was like, wait, how did you decide to start this beverage company? And I shared my backstories like, oh, that, that's so interesting. How did you know how to bottle it? How did you know? Like he asked all these, he was curious, right? He asked all these questions. And after 20 minutes of the dialogue of sort of what I had created, he's like, that's really cool. I mean, that's really great that you just decided to do something that solved a problem for yourself. He said, by the way, we're going to, we have some chefs that we've hired to start cooking at Google. And I don't think we have a beverage yet. I think we're just telling people to bring your own beverage, but I don't know, maybe you can talk to this guy, Charlie, and get the product in. And I was like, oh, 
give me Charlie's email. And sure enough, I followed up. And I mean, I think back on that conversation and I, and Charlie was like, wait, so you were a beverage executive and Omid told me about you and you used to be a tech executive. And now like you're, you're in food and beverage. I'm, I'm so confused, but if Omid said it's a good product, then we'll try it. But if the employees don't like it, sorry, we're, we're going to have to have you pick up the product. I'm like, sure. No problem. Drop 10 cases to him and he pays for the 10 cases. And then the next day he called and he said, can you drop 30 cases? And I'm like, oh my gosh, sure. And then he calls me two days later and he's like, can you drop a hundred cases? And I'm like, so like how many employees do you guys have? I mean, how much product do you think you're going to go through? Because I don't have that many pallets in my garage. I mean, and so he was like, well, I was going to place another order for 300 next week. I mean, they became our number one customer. And when you think about it, like one week prior, I was sitting there trying to figure out, gosh, do I go work for Google? Or how do I have a real conversation with Omid about not wanting to jump off the hint ship and go into Google? And I wanted to be maintain my relationship and keep my options open. That was my goal. But I never really thought that there'd be an opportunity where it would go into Google. I didn't even know to ask, but instead you just kind of show up. And the fact that we went into Google and then went into Facebook and all these other tech firms, what was so crazy about Google is there were no other beverages there. And so it was sort of like the opposite of what we saw in stores where we have the big guys who had all the best shelf space and we were competing for it with, you know, maybe two skews on the shelf inside of Google, people were sitting there pulling out off a bottle off the shelf and trying to figure out like which flavors. I mean, they, there were, there's all these stories about hint hoarding where people would hide it under their desk and stuff. And there were certain flavors that you could never find. I mean, none of that stuff was happening inside stores and they didn't want the Coca-Cola trucks in the parking lot. I mean, they, they really believed that if they could help keep their employees healthy, that that was what they wanted to do. And so they really got what we were doing. And, you know, for the first two years, I mean, we had a lot of runway where we were able to build. And then what started happening is stores started hearing from employees who worked at Google and they were like, why don't you have this product and you should really have it. So they started calling us which is crazy. I mean, that's not what happens and it wasn't what the plan was. But again, I think you just have to, you have to be open to, to kind of going with the flow and seeing, you know, where opportunities present themselves, you jump on them and you don't overthink them and you figure out a way to say yes. I think that that's the most important thing that I've learned. Yeah. Sometimes the best connections come totally unexpected. So that, that's, that's a pretty cool story. So we're going to play a little game. It's called bullish or bearish. So it's rapid fire. I'm going to throw a couple of things at you and you're going to tell me if you're bullish or bearish on them. So let's start with your children working at Hint. Are you bullish or bearish on that happening anytime in the future? Am I bullish on it happening or do I want it to happen? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, let's, let's say you want it to happen. Bearish. Okay. They have all worked at Hint in some way, but I want them to find their passions. Sure. Right. And I think that, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think they've learned a ton about business. I mean, I've got three in college now. I've got one in high school and we've employed many of their friends as well along the way and we make them work and you know, they learn a lot of things, but I think that I want them to really go out and get different types of experience and play and figure out what they ultimately want to do and I think that that's the most important thing and they will. You know, I think that that's the thing that they're they're doing they're doing it right now. So Excellent. The next one is going to be the health industry. We've seen a, a lot of liftoff in that space, especially with millennials and now Gen Z coming into the fold. Let's talk a little bit specifically in the beverage industry. So obviously you have created a product that has completely changed the way that we think about unsweetened beverages. It's very hard to duplicate. However, do you think, are you bullish or bearish on more natural ingredients in beverages or is it going to stay status quo? I think that the biggest problem is that we 
as a society are fooled by, again, it goes back to these words. Words are really powerful things. So you said the word natural. So natural, you know, I remember when I was starting Hint and vitamin water was like the hottest thing on the market. And I remember learning that the red or pinkish color, it was natural. They didn't use that term back then, but it was natural, but it was cockroach wings. And so natural is considered, right? So that's natural. I just don't want to drink cockroach wings. Yeah. Right. And so there's so many things that are tricking the consumer into either believing that they're healthier or just are weird, right? Are, are just nasty. And, and yeah. I think that that is the problem. I think organic, for example, there's you know so many different organic certifications. You can today and food companies do this, you can get certified in Mexico, for example, you can get organic certified and NAFTA, you can get it across the border and it was organic flour. I mean, this happens today and your product is considered in the US organic and whether or not it is. And I think that labels are, are just really tough. And in the end, the consumer loses. And it's just the more I've I've learned about this industry, it, there are so many games that are played that are really not in the consumer's best interest. And there's nobody regulating it, kind of not bashing, you know, the FDA. I think there's a lot of work to do and there's a lot of policing to do, I guess, in, in many ways. But it's just I've learned like a little too much about it. And I think that the core thing is, is, you know, less ingredients are more. And I think that if it seems too good to be true, then it probably is. I mean, there's been companies, there was a company out there a few years ago that was all organic and everything was like a couple bucks or I don't know, it was like, a, I can't remember the name of it, but it was too good to be true, right? They couldn't actually make a business out of it because if it was really, truly organic and better for you, then it wouldn't be that cheap. And so I just think it's just common sense. And sometimes you have to stop and really think about it. And I think as it relates to health, unfortunately, I think healthcare is still a little bit of a mess and, you know, people are left hanging with lots of bills when they get sick. And I think that the best way to try and protect yourself is to try and stay as healthy as possible and do what's in your control. Eat right, really look at labels, really understand ingredients or don't eat them. Don't drink them, right? Yeah. Don't put stuff on your skin that you don't understand either. Don't put stuff in your house that you don't really understand. It's it, it's really, really important. I think that people need to stop and think about that because until you know our healthcare system gets figured out and when it's overburdened as it was over the last 17 months, that really is not very helpful. And so you have to do what you can to kind of stay healthy. Wow. I'm thinking about the times that I drink vitamin water as a kid. And now that's cockroach wings. That's, I know. Yeah. Okay. So last one in this space, you talk a little bit about this in your book being a bit of an issue when you came back to work. So in the United States, we have some pretty subpar parental leave policies compared to most other Western nations. Are you bullish or bearish that the United States is going to take a collective reasoning and come to come to heart with the idea that we don't have a great system and that we should be allowing for more leave, better support for mothers when they return to the workplace, and even more leaves for non-traditional families. Yeah, I'm bullish that it will happen. I think we focus a lot on making sure that, and, and I think during the pandemic, it's changed things slightly, but you know, we're, we're not focusing on the right thing. We should be focusing on the outcome of what the work is, right? And figuring out how to get things done. And I think people, you know, whether it's family leave or whether it's, you know, mental health and taking a break or whatever it is, I think you have to have responsibility on both sides and recognizing the health and well-being of your employees, but also the responsibility of the individuals too and making sure that you're commitment that you've committed to is actually getting taken care of in some way. So in addition to, it's, it's sort of like, it's interesting, it's even similar to kind of how I think about running a business and, and really diversifying your offerings. I mean, I think that when companies are so focused on how much maternity leave or how much family leave somebody's going to take, they don't really have 
somebody in place, like a substitute teacher that is also ultimately going to come in and be helpful. And so I think like that thinking, I don't really see people talking about, but I, I think that recognizing that you have to have plan B when it comes up, I think it's just great for companies so that they don't miss a beat right? Instead, you know, you start to think about, gosh, well, if a father isn't around or, or whatever, then what's it going to be for my company? And I think that that is where we really need to go as well, that looking at these, what is plan B for companies? Because then if you have the plan B in place, then I think you'll be happier. Your employee who needs to take family leave will be happier as well and work around it. Yeah, that's great. So back to the book Undaunted, what made you write the book? And what do you want the listeners to know about the book? So I wrote the book really to help people know that being an entrepreneur is a, not easy, B, doable, and C, that if, if I could help people really understand that you're going to have challenging times, but you have to just keep moving and figuring out a way to get something done and maybe even coming back to things. If I could show people that path and how things will work out, if you keep moving forward and, and figuring out things, be resilient, but also be resourceful and figuring out, showing up for that Google meeting, figuring out maybe something will come of this, maybe it won't. And, and that was really the most important thing that I wanted people to get out of the book, that if you choose to live then living undaunted and living a way that is interesting, satisfies your curiosity where you're helping people too. I mean, you know, that's a whole other piece of this as well. What I'm really confident we're doing at Hint is helping some people just enjoy better tasting water, but actually changing health in, in many, many ways, changing a beverage industry that frankly was not interested and consumer health has never been interested in consumer health. And so if I could actually go and, and change an industry and do something that just by having an idea that a lot of other people can as well. And that was the big reason I wanted to get the book out there and get that message out there. Hopefully more entrepreneurs will be created just by hearing my story in uh, my industry. Yeah, that's great. I, I will leave all of your information in the description especially the link to the book. I do want people to find this. The one last thing to leave us with this evening. So Kara is also a podcaster. She is the Kara Golden Show. She used to ask the question, what makes you unstoppable? <laughs> so I want to spin that question and instead say, what makes you undaunted? There you go. What makes me undaunted? I think recognizing that if you don't go do it, that it will never happen, right? And I think that that's another piece of it that when I always hear from people, well, I don't know if it'll work, so I, I won't go try it, but you'll never really know unless you do try, right? I think that that is what being undaunted means to me and me knowing that I choose to live that way, I think is, is really, it's important to me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Kara. I, I'm humbled. I appreciate it. And cheers to the Hint Company. Absolutely. You too. Thank you. Thank you. This was another great interview right here on the Business of Business Finance Fundamentals interview series. I am humbled and honored that Kara joined me today on the Finance Fundamentals podcast. I want you all to go and check out her book, Undaunted. It's a great read. I couldn't put it down when I started, and it is super insightful into how they started the company and how they got going. I really think we could all learn from those lessons. Check out her podcast as well and get the website drinkhint.com if you want to learn more about the company and see the services and products that they offer. Together, we'll own that road to financial freedom. And I'm really glad you're joining me for it. I want to hear from you. Have a topic you'd like discussed? A suggestion? You can contact me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email, and more. Check out the description for my link tree. I look forward to hearing from you. The show is written and edited by me, produced and edited by Daniel Rue. A lot of work goes into these episodes, and we really hope you enjoyed them.